Good morning, Risen King. I just want to continue our series this morning in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning's message is titled, Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. Have you ever felt like there is a disconnect? Or how many of you have ever felt this tug of war between this idea of grace and holiness? We really don't hear the word holiness in churches much anymore. What if I were to tell you that it's neither extreme of extreme grace or extreme holiness? What if I told you that one does not fully encompass and define God, but what if I told you that both grace and holiness were attributes of the same God. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 52. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and we're going to read it in steps and stages this morning. So, Savior and Lord. So, normal Christianity is knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not about the church you're a part of. It's not about your personality or moral attitude or your political leaning. It's about knowing God through Jesus Christ. And how you see Jesus will shape the way you interact with him. And when you hear what he has to say about you, the world, and God. This is true for every relationship in your life. You are shaped by the way that you view people. Just an example, you can receive the same information from two different people and respond in two different ways depending on the relationship that you have with each person. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus. The fact that you know him as Lord and Savior literally shapes or should shape and should color everything in your life. And most of us would say that he is our Lord and Savior, but I wonder if we could truly define what it means. So if I asked you what it actually means for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, could you actually define it? See, it's hard to define without using the actual words, well, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, but that that really doesn't capture the essence of what it means for him to be Lord. Or he's my Savior because he saved me. That doesn't define Savior. See, if you don't have a tangible understanding of what these words mean, it's going to be hard to interact with Jesus. It's going to be hard to know him, and it's going to be hard to follow him. Today's text teaches us what it practically means for Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. So we're going to start Mark chapter 10, verse 32, and we're going to go until verse 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You see, the passage starts with Jesus getting out in front of the disciples headed toward Jerusalem. And he came for a lot of purposes. To preach, to heal, 
to lead. But none of those were more prominent or more central to his coming than his coming to die and rise again. And this is the most specific and detailed prediction in Mark's gospel of Jesus' death. And he was very clear and detailed with his disciples. He said, fellas, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem to die and to rise again. He was making it clear that he is the Lord and Savior that God had sent to them. And he wants them to know why he is there. The next two stories kind of outline what it looks like for him to be our Lord and for him to be our Savior. So for Jesus to be our Lord means he's going to correct us. Let's pick it up at verse 35 of Mark 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten, that the rest of the uh, disciples, the rest of the apostles, the, heard it, they became indignant at James and John. They were upset. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." So, so let me break this down for you for a moment. James and John, they pull Jesus aside and they immediately try to manipulate him. You ever seen the movie Aladdin? It's this whole idea. There's a genie in a lamp and you rub the lamp and all of a sudden the genie comes out and it grants three wishes. And this is the same way they were trying to manipulate Jesus. Jesus, we have a question for you, but before we ask, you got to promise to say yes. They must know that they're going to ask for something that he normally wouldn't grant them. They want to be his number one and number two leaders in what they think is the kingdom to come in Jerusalem. So they, they literally thought God's kingdom would come down to Jerusalem. They didn't understand this concept of the kingdom of heaven. And they pull him aside because they don't want to make the, the other disciples, they don't want to let the other disciples hear them asking for this. They, they want to be higher up in the food chain than everyone else. And the other disciples become indignant and they become angry because they want the same seat in the new kingdom. And Jesus' response shows us that for him to be your Lord means that he's going to correct you. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? See, he heard their request and asked them a rhetorical question meant to communicate an obvious no the baptism and the drinking of a cup was a metaphor. It was a symbolism for what Jesus was about to do on the cross. 
He was going to drink the cup of God's wrath. He was going to be baptized into suffering. He was the only one who could do it. He was the only one who could die and pay the penalty of sin. Thus the obvious answer to their request was a no. But the disciples were foolish. They were persistent thinking that they were able to do it. So Jesus answers them again, verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it's been prepared. This actually gives us a a really cool glimpse into the relationship of the Trinity and the nature of Jesus. He was literally telling them that what they were asking for wasn't his to grant. Who sits where and who has authority in the coming kingdom? That's the Father's prerogative. And Jesus submits to God the Father on this, not because he's less God. He's equally God. And it's because he loves the Father, and that's the nature of the Trinity. They didn't realize it, but what they were asking him to do was to usurp the power of God the Father, and Jesus would do no such thing. He would not belittle the Father. And so he says no, and he corrects them. Let me just share this with you, church. We have forgotten this word holiness, but eventually if you follow Jesus long enough, he will correct you. He's going to say no to some of your requests and he will correct your intentions altogether because he is Lord. That means we get to conform to him and his word, not him conforming to our word and us. We don't get to tell the Lord Jesus what to do. We don't get to tell the Lord Jesus how we should live our lives as believers. We submit to him. See, as you follow the Lord Jesus, you'll be surprised at how much and how often he disagrees with you. And as your life comes into contact with the Bible and you get to know Jesus, you're going to see a lot of disconnect in between who you are and who he is. You see, sometimes our thoughts and our desires are often completely opposed to his thoughts and to his desires. And let me just share this with you, church. He will not budge. He will not relent on the things that he has revealed clearly in Scripture about his character, nature, and his purpose. The more I I parent my daughter, Belle, the more I'm thankful for the lordship of Jesus in my life. See, there are certain things that that I won't give to Belle, no matter how much she asks for them, no matter how much she whines, complains, and gets mad at me for not giving them to her. How much more so would it be with Jesus? He knows what's good for us more than than we do. He knows what's best. We've got a lot of Christianity, seven keys to unlocking your blessing. Here is how you activate your yes answer to your prayer. But we have never been taught how to celebrate when God answers no. And he will say no to you. And you and I will hear no sometimes through scripture, sometimes through unanswered prayer, sometimes through a prophetic word that God will give us, sometimes through a sermon. See, when you read the scriptures, you're going to realize your view on money is different than God's view on money. You're going to realize that God's idea of gender, sexuality, and marriage is different than your view. You're going to find out that God's view of alcohol, drunkenness, is different than your view. 
and that your idea of what is sin and what is not is going to be different than his. See, if you follow him long enough, you will find yourself disagreeing with him. You will find yourself being uncomfortable with what you're reading in the Bible. And sometimes you'll find yourself completely disregarding what he told you to do. But when we follow the Lord Jesus, when we follow what is written in his word, his ideas on sexuality, his ideas on money, his ideas on drunkenness, his ideas on sin, his ideas on addiction, then we are conforming to his image. And that's called holiness. See, I feel this way every time I feel my wife has wronged me. Every time I feel hurt or disrespected by her, I find myself disagreeing out loud with Jesus. I find myself disagreeing about how reconciliation should happen. See, in my mind, she wronged me. She should apologize. She should be the one to reach out to me. But then the scriptures ring out in my head. And I remember Ephesians chapter 5 that said, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I need to reconcile. But sometimes I find myself acting like my daughter. God, it's not fair. I want it my way. Guess what? Jesus isn't going to budge with me. He's not going to say, well, now that you really want to and and you're really hurt, I guess it's okay if you, you skip out on how I've ordered things to be. Brother, he will say, I understand you're hurting, but this is what's true. And if I'm the Lord of your life and I know what's best for you, you need to trust me and you need to obey me. See, Jesus being Lord means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when there's a disconnect or a disagreement, that it's not the time for us to doubt and discredit him. It is the time for us to repent and submit to him. See, when he corrects you, you need to receive it as he loves you because he is a good and he is a wise God. So Jesus is the Lord who corrects us. But not only is he the Lord who corrects us, but he's also the Savior who cares for us. Let's pick it up. Verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me tell you something. There's emotions in your life that sometimes cause you to stop reaching out and crying out for the Lord Jesus. There are people in your life that would prevent you from seeking out the right thing to do and following the Lord Jesus. But let me just tell you something. Sometimes you just need to cry out all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And and it caught Jesus' attention because he stopped and he said, call him. And they called the blind man to him saying, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And I love this. I love this verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He was excited to do this because he knew that at this point, he had encountered face to face with the Savior, the healer of the world, that he knew something was about to happen. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You know what I love about this story? And and I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in praying for people so that their healing could, could come. But let me just share this with you. There was no altar call. There was no uh, prayer team on this man. It was just the word of Jesus, the immediate healing as Jesus spoke and told him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And his sight was recovered immediately. This is an interesting story. This was the last story of Jesus' healing in the Gospel of Mark. See, Jesus was almost to Jerusalem, heading to the most difficult and trying time of his life. He wasn't on his way to heal this man. He was on his way to finish the work that God gave him. Nothing was more important than what Jesus was on his way to do. So we should understand that he was a little preoccupied and his stress levels were high. We have a hard time caring for those people who aren't immediately in our line of sight when we're having difficult days. We tend to lack patience, the ability to care for others, especially those people who exhaust us. We definitely wouldn't go out of our way to serve someone we didn't know while going through a hard time like this. But this is where Jesus shows us just how great he is. Compare his busy day to one of yours. He's about to pay the infinite debt of sin on our behalf, carrying a weight that you and I know nothing about. Even though he's preoccupied with this, he makes time for the blind man who continue to cry out after being told to be quiet. Jesus asked him what he could do for him. And Bartimaeus responded saying he just wanted his sight. And in an instance, Jesus gave it to him. He was on his way to Jerusalem, yet he stopped to heal and care for this man. Jesus was about caring and giving him his devoted attention. He wanted to love this man when all of us would have had no impulse to. This is grace. This is grace. Jesus is a savior who loves and cares for you in ways that no one else could. And if you follow Jesus as your savior, you're going to be surprised at just how much he loves and cares for you. There'll be days when you feel lonely, weary, and despaired, and then you'll read the scripture and you'll realize just how much Jesus loves you, cherishes you, and respects you. No matter what you do, he's going to love and he's going to serve you. He's going to ask you the same thing that he asked Bartimaeus. What can I do for you? See, as my daughter gets older, she's becoming more of a little person, having a personality with desires, and I love getting to know her. I love her in ways I never thought I could love anyone. In ways that she won't understand until she has a child of her own. So when she snubs me, it it hurts. Or when she won't ask for my help, it, it breaks my heart. She could get all the things that she wants from me. Protection, comfort, and love. See, I'm here for her. I'm under no obligation to be there for her. Yet I will do all those things for her willingly. But my love for my daughter pales in comparison to God's love for his people. You're going to be flabbergasted at the extent and the ferocity of the relentless, reckless love of God. He will love you in ways you never thought possible, in ways you know you don't deserve, and he will do it all willingly. You see, Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to. He made promises to be with you forever because he wanted to. He is under no obligation to love, serve, comfort, and protect you, yet he chooses to. 
See, it is the delight of the Lord Jesus to show you his love. It is his delight to bring you life. It is his delight to bring you joy. He is a savior who cares for you. And this is Christianity. Knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. A Lord who corrects you and a Savior who cares for you. But the truth is, most of us know him primarily as one or the other. Savior being that aspect of God's grace. The immensity of grace that he pours out on us. Lord in that he requests holiness for us to follow his commands, his laws, the law of love, what's written in scripture. See, most of us, unfortunately, experience Jesus primarily as Lord. We get that he corrects, teaches, and rebukes us, but we're rarely amazed by his love and joy in us. For you, Jesus is often frustrated with you or maybe disgusted by you. He wants you to serve more. He wants you to pray more. So naturally, your prayer life becomes quick and it becomes work. Time in the scriptures become a checklist. You serve out of an obligation. Sharing the gospel with people they don't know, that don't know Jesus, seems like an impossibility. Want to know why? Because it's not good news to you. So why would it be? news to them. You live under the pressure and the oppression of legalism. See, you need to hear that he is your Lord, but he's also your savior. He loves and cares for you. He pursued you when you wanted nothing to do with him. He's given up everything so that you could be with him. He is your savior. Others of us experience Jesus primarily as Savior. We get that he loves and serves us, but we're not in pursuit of holiness. We rarely submit to his correction. We rarely do what the Bible says or expects from a Christian. We think he's cool with whatever we do because it's all under grace. He'd love for us to submit, obey, or get involved, but it's all grace if we don't, so don't worry about it. Prayers and service become optional. The Bible just simply becomes a manual for you to have a more inspirational, better life and obtain the things that you want out of him. Evangelism becomes primarily about loving people. I want to love on people but we never get to talking about Jesus. For you, you need to be reminded that he is the Lord who is wise, good, and knows where life is. Heaven is going to be amazing because it will be a holy place where we will obey him all the time. See, he knows where truth and beauty truly are. Lastly, I wonder this church, I wonder if you've experienced him at all. Have you experienced this past week? Have you experienced Jesus as Lord and Savior? The haunting truth for a lot of us is that we don't experience him as either. He's just a guy in the distant background of our lives. And let me just tell you something, church, we're missing out. 
if you miss out on knowing him as Lord and Savior, you miss out on everything. You could get all this church. You can get all this city life and partying that the world has to offer. But if you don't get to know Jesus, you've missed everything. Church, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray that we would respond to God's call to holiness. God's call to obey his scriptures. God's call to live out this Christian faith. And I want to pray that we would also be gracious with others. And that we would also too experience the never ending grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul never considered that he would leave holiness in favor of grace. But he believed that if we followed grace. And that if we experienced the fullness of the love of God. That we would be holy people. That we would follow God's word, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude and love for his immense love for us. Let's pray, church. I pray today that you would know the Lord Jesus as both Lord and Savior.